John, this is Chuck and Layton from Irreligiosity. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the show, John. Uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, how about people who are completely unaware of you, um, like Layton? Uh, just tell us who you are. <laughs> yeah, I thought about looking you up on Wikipedia, but I just never got around to it. It's, it's so much effort. Well, <laughs> I don't have a you know an entry in uh, Wikipedia. I, that's why um, I guess you don't know of me, and maybe others don't as well. <laughs> I don't even know how you get on that. I guess somebody puts you up there. But yeah, I'm a, a former preacher, and um, I studied, you know, in several different master's degree levels in the philosophy of religion. One of which was under William Lane Craig. You might know him. You studied under and, William Lane Craig. Yes, I yes. think that's in your book. Why I became an atheist, right? I think you talk about yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And uh, you know, I went to uh, I went to the same schools that uh, Paul Copan did, who was the who is now the president of the Evangelical uh, Evangelical Philosophical Society. You know, I have connections with Evangelicals. You know, having been with with them, studied with them, studied with um, fellow students who are now leaders in churches and in seminaries, and and um, they know me, and I know them, and um, so I've got their attention. <clears throat> So you weren't just a preacher. I mean, you were serious. You weren't just one of these uh, side-of-the-road guys going out proclaiming the Word of God. I mean, you actually did some serious study. Well, yeah, I, that's true. I, I did both. I, uh, I was a street preacher. I, I was first uh, introduced to Christianity on the streets of Fort Wayne. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I went to um, you know, several different colleges, you know, Great Lakes Christian College in Lansing and Lincoln Christian Seminary in, in Lincoln, Illinois, and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in, uh, in uh, North uh, uh, North Illinois, and then Marquette University for a PhD study in uh, theology and ethics, and um, I studied there for a year and a half. So you know, with three master's degrees and some PhD work, I guess uh, more than a preacher, but uh, still, uh, you know, I was a preacher, and uh, I know the ins and outs of church, and I know the ins and outs of, of apologetics. Did you ever pastor a flock? Did you ever? Lead people. <laughs> Did I ever fleece a flock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I mean, I you know I was a youth minister, and then at a different church, I was uh, you know a young pastor of a small church, and then I was a, a senior minister at a, a larger church. Well, I'm I'm very curious. Throughout all of that, did you have any what the hell moments when you were reading the Bible or doing all of this apologetic study? <laughs> well. I think I did have some doubt when I was talking to some guy in one of my churches. He uh, he asked me a simple question. He was he was a believer of some kind, you know, and I I was a conservative. And he asked me what language did God speak uh, in Genesis one when he said, "Let there be light." <laughs> so I thought to myself, I thought to myself, well. It's recorded in Hebrew, <laughs> so, so <laughs> he must have spoken Hebrew. <laughs> and I, I, it dawned on me that nobody was around when he spoke it <laughs> to uh, to have understood Hebrew, right? So uh, that uh, question puzzled me for uh, some time, you know, when it came to understanding Genesis 1, and I, I went to um, get a master's degree, and I wanted to deal with those kind of questions. I wrote a, a master's thesis on Karl Barth's doctrine of the Word of God and answer uh, to that. And um, you know, thinking that you know, it's you know, it, it, that that kind of question prob- was problematic. But uh, you know, I, I swear you, uh, you you're in a Christian community with people who um, both love you and take swipes at you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I swear, I swear, if you want to be, uh, if you want to doubt, become a pastor. I swear it's true. You know, you get to see the real people that you that you pastor over, and uh, you kind of wonder, well, you know, <laughs> they're not any different than the world. Uh, but um, it was problematic, uh, but not that problematic to to um, to believe. I mean, you you get patted on the back whenever you make. You know, a good argument, a good sermon, when someone is converted, and uh, you know you feel like God's working through you. You know, it's, it's entirely experiential, and uh, you're almost cloistered. You know, as a pastor, you are. I mean, the uh, 
church bids its people to go out into the world and evangelize, but when you're a pastor, you know, you, you're basically working with Christian people. I mean, you know, the only people you actually work with are Christian people. You don't have a secular job, so to speak. You know, you you run into the secular people from time to time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. They're they're out there somewhere, but uh, you just bring them into church <laughs> right. and let me preach at them. We'll straighten them yeah. out. Yeah, you you bring them to church, I preach at them. You know, and then well, uh, it, uh, during your preaching days, uh, how often did you uh, curse an atheist to hell? You know, those dirty atheists without their morals. Well, I you know I don't know. I you know I, I I've killed a few brain cells since then. I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember everything I might have done, but. You know, those godless heathen, uh, those atheists, you know, I probably spewed forth hate, you know, too. I just can't remember anything specific, you know. Actually, you know, I like to, you know, forget some things, you know, that I might have said. And and I, I think that some people who have never been religious probably, you know, see me as gullible or easily swayed or, you know, something like that. But I, I really am the same rational person that I was before. I remember meeting a former Mormon bishop, and I kind of looked upon him like others might look upon me. You know, how could you have ever believe that, you know, is what I was thinking of him. And uh, I swear, I'm, I'm every bit the same reasonable, reasonable person that I was before. I just had a delusion, you know. I mean, I, ju I just had a set of false assumptions that I l learned and was, was taught in my upbringing and in, in the Christian culture, and I just could not see it any other way. That, that's interesting. In uh, Christian delusion, one of the most interesting chapters for me was the cognitive science chapter. Yeah, that was the, pretty cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that kind of lays out how we fool ourselves and how that feeling of certainty really is not connected to evidence. You can have it in the absence of any evidence, and you can have an opposite feeling of certainty in the face of strong opposing evidence. It really doesn't. It's just a feeling. It's an emotion, essentially. It is. Yeah, it is. I, I like that chapter. I mean, I people tell me all the time of their favorite chapters, and uh, they always seem to mention a different one. <laughs> right. So, so you're diff you, what, what you think is your favorite chapter is person-centered, you know, as well, you know. So, uh, and what I like about it is that people seem to like all the chapters. I mean. Not everyone likes all of the chapters, but uh, there are people who said that you know this particular chapter, and they're always you know pointing out a different one, is you know excellent or really spoke to me or you know just has a great argument. So yeah, I, I like I like that book. Yeah, it is a great book. If if people want to get up to speed really quickly on counter arguments and uh, what's actually going on, kind of in scholarship for New Testament studies and and why Christians are wrong. Uh, that would be the first book I'd point them to. It, it covers the whole gamut. Well, I put it together like that. I mean, I, I can't get, <clears throat> I could not get just anyone to write for me. People say, well, why didn't you have so-and-so write for you? Why didn't you have more women write for you? I was I was turned down, you know, by people, and, uh, you know, and yet I still had uh, a goal of, you know, bolstering some of the arguments that I had made in my previous book, uh, Why I Became an Atheist, you know, with lengthier discussions of, ideas I introduced there and with people who knew more about it than me. I, I don't claim to, you know, know the sum total of all the author's scholarship, you know, that go into my book, but um, I don't have to. I just had to locate them. I just had to find them, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled with, with the result. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite books. It's exceptional. Um, I think, God, Richard Carrier's work in there, Hector Avalos's work, um, one of the problems with a book is if you loan it out to someone, you never get it back. Isn't that right, Layton? <laughs> I, I have no idea what you're talking about, and Fucking it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> you dick. At least you know where it is. <laughs> I kiss my ass. The other one doesn't really matter because we don't care about that fella. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Layton, you've got the book. I bought the Kindle edition because Layton never gave it back to me. Um, and I'm looking wait, wait, through wait, wait, the... Wait, wait. No, 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 no. You had the Kindle version, and you gave me that book because of it. Take your pick and match elsewhere, will you? Right. <laughs> it, 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 works, it works both ways. Who cares? I've got the book. Now, continue with what you wanted to talk about. I was going to say, Avalos' chapter on uh, why Yahweh's a moral monster. Uh, he also has a, a second chapter, I think, about yeah, atheism was not the cause of the Holocaust. 
Carrier's chapters on Christianity uh, not the cause of uh, modern science. You get that argument all the time. Without yep. Christianity, modern science could never have happened. It's based on that fundamental Christian most, principles. Oh, it is the most irritating statement I ever hear out of their mouths. Yeah, well... You know, we, 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 I would like to, you know, do some other types of books, uh, you know, with chapters like uh, Christianity did not uh, um, liberate the slaves, uh, Christianity did not uh, originate feminism, uh, Christianity did not institute democracy, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, if I live long enough, I'll have to do one on uh, Christianity did not <laughs> instigate the homosexual revolution. <laughs> you know, once once that uh, catches on, and it seems to to be doing, then uh, then Christians are going to, you know, point to a guy named John McKeon. You know, I think he wrote a book in '57, Catholic, that they railed against because he was supportive of uh, homosexuals. So, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. you know, I'll just have to, you know, make a whole book of that maybe someday. But uh, I don't know. It just seems like that's what Christians can do because they outnumber us in the number of books they put out, and and you know. Uh, once you repeat a lie often enough, uh, people believe it. Another one I think H Hector uh, did in in, uh, in that book was about Hitler and uh, and uh, and uh, that the atheism was the reason for the Holocaust. You know, we could do one on uh, you know the atheist regimes of the you know past century. You know, and uh, you know how it right. wasn't because of atheism. So, so it seems like you, you repeat that lie long enough, and and uh, you know Christians. They want to believe that. You know, they want to believe the atheists are bad. They want to believe that Christianity is good. And so it's not long before they latch on to those sorts of ideas, but they need to be debunked. And I think that Hector did a great job in his chapter on Hitler, and Carrier did a superb job on the, on the science chapter and things like that. Yeah, what you're talking about with the Christians co-opting all of these movements, uh, one, um, there are more Christians than others, but two, you can find Christians on both sides. It's not like Christians were fighting the atheists on freeing slaves, right? Uh, they didn't all line right. up on one side. So they're fighting against other Christians, and you brought that point up in your chapter of what we've got here is a failure to communicate. For, yeah. you know, the, this omnipotent being who's uh, the smartest person in the universe, he's omni-smart, essentially, he's just a shitty communicator. He cannot <laughs> really get is. his goddamn point across. <laughs> well... I didn't say it like that, but uh, I mean, actually, I want Christians to read what I have to say. <laughs> that was the chapter, Leighton. That was the entire text of the chapter. Well, I'm pretty sure I remember reading that chapter out loud to small children while they were sleeping. So. Yeah, to gasps in the audience. Yes. Well, I'm curious. What is the one argument or even story that Christians throw in your face that just makes you want to put your head in the toilet and drown yourself? Well, you know, there is one. It's called the most asinine argument. <laughs> asinine. I'll just type in asinine. Oh, no results. I must have misspelled it. Well, on my blog, it's the most asinine argument. <clears throat> That's where Christians will say to me, you have no standard uh, for saying something is evil. You know, you, you can't say something is evil without a standard for saying it's evil. And uh, it's just like a criticism of Hector's chapter that I titled. I titled it uh, Yahweh is a Moral Monster. He had a different, longer title that was kind of technical and complex, but uh, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. And uh, I wanted the title shorter, and so he graciously acquiesced. But the thing about Yahweh being a moral monster is is that from Christians' own moral standards, you know, for, you know, taking your standards as you claim them to be about loving truth and honesty and, and women and children and slaves, and you know, given what you yourself believe about morality, then you should conclude Yahweh is a moral monster. You see, and, and it doesn't take someone. Uh, you know, that argument could be made by a liberal Christian, it could be made by um, a Satanist, it could be made by, um, you know, just about anybody. Could it, the source of the argument does not matter. The argument itself should stand on its own. And, and if, if I can take what you believe and turn it and twist it and say, you know what, based on what you believe, this is evil, then that's good enough. It's just the most asinine argument I've ever heard. 
It is um, it's an example of being completely stuck within your own paradigm. You're stuck within this own box. So you cannot conceive of a morality that isn't fixed on an authoritarian structure. So there's no yeah. other possible way to derive morals unless someone tells you what they are. <laughs> That's exactly it. I like what Hitchens says that they, they worship a celestial dictator. I mean, that's. Yeah, you know, right. They have to have an authoritarian, of course. You know, if Christians are claiming that it's because of Christianity that they created the scientific method, uh, then why hasn't anybody thrown back in their face, well, can't you, through scientific observation, develop uh, morals through philosophical and scientific observation? Well, Sam Harris tried to do that in his latest book, and I don't think it was very successful. Huh, interesting. Well, you haven't read uh, Richard Carrier's chapter in this new book that was just published and released a couple of weeks ago called The End of Christianity. You have heard of that, right? I've heard of it. No. Um, it's on my reading I'm, uh, I'm the editor of that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new book of essays, and... Uh, he basically supports Sam Harris. So, you know, you can judge for yourself when you read that, but I, I, there's criticism both ways, and I'm not, I don't try to get involved too much in that. Yeah, I'll have to pick that up and read it. Um, uh, my undergraduate major was philosophy with an emphasis in ethics, so I'd be very interested in what Carrie has to say, especially in light of uh, his chapters. Here and in the Empty Tomb, Carrie's amazing. He's um, He's got a yeah. knack for kind of distilling... Uh, a bunch of complicated material and widespread stuff and distilling it into kind of short, easily read, easily understandable stuff. Very good. I I have carried on lengthy emails with Richard and about this, that, and the other, and I don't understand how he has such a breadth of knowledge about so many things. Now, nobody can have <laughs> that breadth of knowledge, but uh, he comes close. Uh, and um, he's a wonderful guy and uh, brilliant. He might be God. Come down to <laughs> play well, a big I trick on the rest of humanity. He's really good. Like I said, his chapters um, in your book, let's see, let me run through Carrier's chapters. He's got one on the science, but oh, right, why the re resurrection is unbelievable. That was good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's written uh, about the uh, Hitler question that uh, Hector Avalos quotes from. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's amazing, yeah. What, yeah, I'm what, glad I'm not. I'm, gl I'm glad I'm not on the opposite side of the of this stance of this debate from people like David Eller and Hector Avalos and yeah. Bob Price and Richard Carrier. I'm just glad I'm I'm on the same side with them. Well, <laughs> they've got such heavyweights as William Lane Craig and Dinesh D'Souza. So you Dinesh, know. come on. <laughs> well, that actually brings up a very curious question. Have you ever debated, uh, I mean, um, you did all of this studying and apologetics. Did you ever get into a debate where you just saw yourself losing, and uh, what was your reaction? Well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much like any other human being. We don't see ourselves objectively, and so I never... I never think that I'm losing a debate until later. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, in my world, I in my world, I'm God. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, but I, I do want to debate Bill Craig. I have debated Dinesh D'Souza, and uh, there were some circumstances uh, about that debate that uh, didn't work out so well for me. And so, um, you know, people say, "Well, he's not even a good debater." Well, actually, he is. Actually, actually, he, he's a very good debater, and um, he'll use anything he can to one-upmanship you. And uh, you know, he he pulled out the stops, and uh, you know, he's Dinesh is really a good debater, and um, you know, I didn't I didn't fare so well against him, but uh, I do want to debate uh, Bill Craig. I, you know, I I've learned a lot in my debates, and I I want to learn more, uh, but I, I really do want to debate. Bill Craig, but he doesn't want to debate me. I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't. You know, he, he, um, he said when we were students of his, at the time, see, he's been debating ever since high school uh, on debate teams, and uh, I don't know how many debates he has under his belt, maybe a thousand by now, just to guess. So he's really a great debater as well, but he, he, he doesn't, I don't want to, like, pit him and Dinesh in comparison terms, but Dinesh is a bullshitter, just 
too. But you know, he he really is a master at um, a debate from uh, the a, be, a better positioned. Uh, uh, he has more scholarly backing and and yeah. uh, depth of knowledge. Dinesh, they're the same in the in the uh, sense that they depend more on rhetoric. I think. They will yeah. make snide comments about you. They'll try to undercut you. They'll try to make you look bad in front of the audience. Um, it's all just common rhetorical techniques. Um, yeah, I have, I have to be like a pit bull. I, I've, I've realized. You know, I just, yes. I just have to. I just have to come out. You know, like that. So. You know, and it's we'll tough because that. on our side, we're made mostly of scholars, uh, and scholars don't tend to be pit bulls by and large. They tend to be right, interested let's, let's, in the truth and. Let's read well, this it's out. Also here. A catch, right. It's a catch twenty two as well because you start being a pit bull and they start throwing their hands up going, Oh, look at the angry atheist without morals. I mean, uh, it, it's really exactly. catch twenty two. But I I completely it agree is. though. The only way to do it is just bulldog them until they're in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a like you say, it's a fine line. You know, you wanna you wanna not be angry but you wanna be a pit bull and as far as uh just explain to them, you know, like I like what Keith Parsons did in his debate with Bill Craig. He just simply says, Yeah, it's not that I don't want to believe and he his voice just raised and he says, I can't <laughs> I just can't believe <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just wanted to emphasize you know, those those things, you know. So but yeah, I well, want to debate Bill, but Bill Bill thinks that it's inappropriate. in our seminary days he would tell us that um person he fears debating the most is a former student of his. Now, I thought that was a really odd comment to make in 1984, but again, he's, he's, he had lots of debates, uh, you know, even up until then. So I don't see why his position has changed any. He's, he fears debating students. And, <clears throat> I mean, if it has changed, let me know. But the last time I had talked to him, I talked to him at the um, Bill Craig-Sam Harris debate, and he just says, I said, you know, I want to debate you, Bill. And he says, yeah, I know. He says, but I think that would be inappropriate. <laughs> so we'll see if that happens. May, may, I don't know why it's inappropriate, of course, but um, you know, I, I'd like to do that. It sounds like he might have an attack of conscience after attacking someone he knows. He might feel yeah, guilty it, afterwards. That might be a good explanation. I mean, yeah, he would have to be that pit bull against a friend. I mean, basically, right. use those I mean, same I, techniques. Yeah, I can do that against anonymous people that that I you know don't know, but uh, you know, I, I know John. He's a friend. I like him. So right. we'll see. I mean, yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, send me an email if you ever get it to successfully uh, debate him. Oh, I um, if, think people hear about it if it happens. If if you do, would you please tell him to stop advancing the Kalam cosmological argument, dear Lord? <laughs> please, I don't stop think it. I don't. I really don't think I can disabuse him of that argument. <laughs> I really don't think I can. I mean, I, nobody has yet. It's uh, you know. So I mean, he doesn't want to accept the refutations of it. So. Um, could you walk us through your outsider test for faith? I think that's probably what you're best known for, your your yeah. contribution to the atheist and skeptical community. Yeah, I stumbled on it, like most other discoveries. It's not something, you know, it, all you got to do is get online and start debating on the forums and on the blogs, not a blog, and, and as you do so, things come to you. You know, you'll find yourself saying things, hey, I hadn't thought about that before, and it, it usually comes in the heat of debate. And um, I was talking to a Calvinist who said, you know, you don't understand the Christian faith because you're not an insider. And um, <laughs> they, they, they started, he did. <laughs> of course, I, first off, I said, well, I used to be, but he didn't accept that. See, I, you know, I, I was never saved, he would claim. Right, right. <laughs> so I, it just came to me, yeah, well, you know, um, you, you know, I'm an outsider. I see things from an outsider's perspective. I'm, I'm outside your faith right now, just like you see... Hinduism or other brands of of Christianity, say Arminianism, or um, you know Scientology, you know, Orthodox Judaism, you know, and as an outsider, you know, you have the burden of proof, and so um, I don't see you meeting that burden of proof. I mean, I, didn't, I don't know if I said it exactly this way, and then I said, what you need to do, since you were raised to believe, like everyone else was raised to believe in their separate religions, most of us anyway, that you need to grow up and be adults and say to yourself, you know what, now it's time to evaluate what my mama told me on her knees, because obviously what mamas say on uh, when we're on their knees is, is incapable of producing the truth, given the fact that there's so many different religions and separately 
um, dis- districts of, of, of the globe. So uh, out of that, it seems so simple to me that we should test these extraordinary claims of miracles in uh, uh, in these other religions from an outsider's perspective. And, and how do you treat those? Why do you treat those with skepticism? You know, you, you don't actually... If someone said, I levitated last week, well, then you would want to interrogate him about that. And, and you wouldn't accept his word just because he said it. You would ask for some evidence. I don't know what kind of evidence you might produce. Well, maybe you could le- levitate right now in front of me. And unlike a person who is before us making such a claim that we would have to interrogate with with a measure of doubt, what we have to do is evaluate historical documents, you know, written 2,000 years in a superstitious age. We can't interrogate them. We can't send Mike Wallace and his 60-minute crew out there to uh, investigate Paul's, you know, claims or you know, be on be on the scene at the tomb when Jesus supposedly arises. We, we we would doubt those things in person, and um, you know, ask for more evidence. And, and yet, believers accept those documents. They can't interrogate. There's so many things. There's so many questions we have that are unanswered that you you cannot believe that. You just should not believe that. And um, and as an outsider, you know, of course, I can't. So basically, it's apply the same standards of reason and evidence to your own faith that you already apply to the faiths you reject. And it's, it seems simple and, non, and non-controversial and even obvious to me, but I tell you, it's been slammed. <laughs> it's been slammed. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's actually kind of funny to see how some of them will, how some Christians will respond to it. Um, that, I find it amazing. Some of them will deny, some of them have to deny science. They have to denigrate science to do so. Or they'll say, you know, we don't actually evaluate other faiths like that. Or, or they'll say, well, you have to apply it to your view of rape and uh, and uh, whether or not there's a material world or not. I mean, basically, it's, they're just saying, they're, they're saying, well, because the outsider test is that radical, then therefore we shouldn't be skeptical at all. Well, the, the thing is that outside faith is not that radical. It's just using the very same standard that you apply already, and that isn't a radical standard. It's just simply as for evidence. So I, I'm, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I'm just keep um, having to revisit it because <clears throat> they intuitively know that such a standard will undermine their faith. It's amazing to me, my my friends and family. It is nothing is more obvious in the world. They're all Mormon. Nothing more obvious in the world that uh, Islam is wrong, or uh, Judaism is wrong, or it's false for this reason or that reason. It's just so obvious. Um, for my parents who uh, don't agree with the church's current position, it's it's the most obvious thing in the world that the Mormon church is wrong. Uh, you t- so you take that and and essentially that's I'm sure that's the um, across the board for for Muslims. It's, it's the most obvious thing in the world that Christianity is wrong. Exactly. Um, but you take that, and then you take the fact that the number one predictor of someone's religion is their place of birth. <laughs> it becomes, you know, God becomes really, 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 really terrible at getting the truth out. Yeah. I mean, if there really is one religion, why would geography be the number one determinant of it? Exactly. And, and their excuses for why other people believe differently are pretty much the same, you know, Satan's deceiving them, or they're ignorant, you know. <laughs> really, right. are, you, are you telling me that Chinese people are ignorant? I don't right. think so. No, they but just it, were born and raised to, to believe in a different type of religion. Satan's deceiving them, but it's impossible for Satan to be deceiving the person who <laughs> believes the, the truth. Well, right? of course, that's because God is on their side. Would you get this right? <laughs> so, um, and that seems... Well, I, as a, as an idea, that outsider test for faith, it seems um, either that I've I've heard it before or it seems fairly obvious, but I've never heard it put in that succinct and and clear a manner. I mean, it just it's like once you read that, you're like, of course, of course, right. that's what you should do. Right. I, I like I said, I stumbled on it, and I'm not saying that I originated the uh, the concept. Thomas Jefferson had said something to his, uh, I think it was his nephew. He, he said, you know, treat these documents. He was talking about the Bible as an outsider. 
and uh, I'm sure that most arguments originate with David Hume and probably anybody who's ever rejected any religion probably did so from the outsider. The, the thing about this that is probably uh, unique is, is probably the way I've defended it. I mean, uh, William Craig did not originate the Kalam argument. Uh, Muslim scholars did. Well, um, just because you didn't originate something doesn't mean you can't be its best modern-day defender. So uh, that's what I would like to be, and that's what I am. So Yeah, absolutely. You know. that That's what you're known for. Um, and I wonder if you could take us through the process, because you did. You, you were not only like, uh, myself, I don't know, I... I kind of was in the religion because my parents taught me, and I probably sincerely believed for a while. I always had doubts. I'm not sure I ever felt like an insider. I didn't go to church. But Leighton, you went to church. You were an insider. Well, I Take was an a... insider, but I was I was more of an outsider. I, I, I didn't really play well with the LDS others. So we're a bunch of misfits. Take us through the uh, trip from an insider to an outsider. Take us through that. What happened to you? I mean, it, it, your story sounds similar to, to Dan Barker's. Um, he was a preacher as well. Uh, very educated, right. very smart. And I think it, it may be that you guys are just too smart to stay in the religion. I'm not sure. What happened? Well, I don't claim to be smarter than the average person, but, uh, you know, if I am smart, uh, then that's just the way people might describe me. But what it took for me was a personal crisis, which I wrote about and why I became an atheist. And um, that personal crisis, though, made me do what I should have been doing all along, and that is critically examining my faith. You know, there's a lot of books out there by Christians that says that um, the reason why they're atheists is because they uh, are immoral, or the reason why they're atheists is because they had bad father figures or, <clears throat> or that... You know, they want uh, ultimate freedom to do what they want. I mean, these are explanations for, say, why someone's an atheist. And Well, no, no. A lot of us who are raised in Christian homes and in Christian culture needed to be, oh, I don't know, uh, shocked out of our faith. And so the, these explanations, whether it's a bad father or what have you, these are the kinds of things that make us do what, what all rational people should be doing all along, and that is critically examining the faith that was giving them. And, um, you know, so I, I, what I did is I had a, a debate with a cousin of mine who teaches biochemistry about evolution. And guess what? <laughs> he won. <laughs> science, science has a way of breaking in on us. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to try to harmonize the results of science with the Bible because you know, I believe that uh, God authored the book of the Bible as well as authored uh, the nature. So let's harmonize these things, what we find in the Bible and what we find in science. Well, one of those ideas is that the universe is 13.7 billion years old. Now, prior to that time, I might have questioned it or not known about it or not cared about it. Not a big deal because, after all, says God created Maybe he created in six long eons of periods of time. Who knows how long that could be? Maybe billions of years. Who knows? Even though that can't be reconciled. So what I did is I, um, I changed the paradigm. I began seeing things differently. So rather than taking the Bible as my standard for what I'm going to accept, I started looking at science and I said, now I'm sure that the universe is this, long, is this old. I'm sure of it. And so then I went back into the Bible and I tried to harmonize the results of science with the Bible. I, my, my total paradigm had changed, no longer trying to you know, take the, the authority of the Bible as the authoritative Word of God. And what I found is that you can't harmonize them. I mean, after all, uh, the moon was described as a light. It's a reflector of light. And um, the fourth day, God created you know, the, the, the stars and the, and the moon. I mean, basically what Genesis 1 says is that first was the earth, and then the universe. <laughs> I said, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, no, no. So, so I, I had to reject, I had to reject uh, Genesis 1 as a myth. And then um, the rest of the chapters and up through chapter 11, they just didn't, you know, seem to harmonize with science. And so then science became the determinator of truth for me. And I kept harmonizing away the Bible. <laughs> I mean, it, it, science says this, you know, and I look at the Bible, that doesn't make sense. The Bible must be, you know, myth, you know. And um, before you know it, of course, uh, you know, there's nothing I could believe because it was written by ancient, superstitious, um, pre-scientific people. Why should I ever take what they had to say over science? 
that first step where you rejected Genesis as a myth, how hard was that? Well, I, I read a lot of commentaries. I mean, basically there are six, seven theories on harmonizing those and you know, I don't know. I mean, I, it's been a few brain cells ago, like I said, but um, I read commentary after commentary, you know, conservative and um, uh, mainline scholarship, and, you know, I just uh, looked at some debate books on the topic. You know, I mean, I, I say I had probably more books on that from that era in my life than any, and I still have, I still get more and more of those types of books because I just want to see, you know, what, you know, might be said you know, in today's world about those chapters. And, you know, nothing, nothing really uh, makes sense about them. I mean, now, even some of the conservatives are now saying that those chapters are myths, like John Walton and Peter Enns and uh, Ken, Kenton Sparks, uh, evangelicals who are now coming out and saying that. So it seems like, you know, since I rejected uh, Christianity you know, somewhere in the middle of the 90s, uh, given 15 years later, now evangelicals are saying that. And even Bruce Walke, he, he affirms evolution. And he's an uh, evangelical with solid credentials, although they kicked him out of t- his teaching position for saying that. <laughs> so it, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how they Christianity evolves. It just what will Christianity look like in the future? You got Rob Bell who's saying that uh, no one goes to hell. He has good evangelical credentials. So, I mean, Christianity is just so it's evolving so much. You got Paul Copan and uh, Matthew Flanagan who are saying there are certain parts in the stories about the Canaanite genocides that are pure rhetoric and those things never happen. Well, that's not an evangelical stance I've ever heard of before, but now they're changing their views. They just have to, because what ultimately matters for them is faith, and they'll, they'll do and apparently say anything just to maintain that faith. Well, that's something that's always troubled me, is why a believer can't see that, the evolution of religion itself. I mean, you have, uh, like, Christianity, I mean, pick your flavor. They look back to the Dark Ages, and they're like, oh, well, they just weren't following Christ's teachings. Well, they were at the time. It's a, it's a complete evolution, and it, it just boggles my mind that they can't see the evolution even in today's society. Yeah, they're blind. I mean, they basically are, are blind by faith, faith in a hope that they'll see any Anne in, in, in heaven, you know, faith in, in a hope that there's um, someone... A God who's going to answer your prayers and take care of you, and they like the community of faith. I mean, it gives them friendships and uh, social hours, and you know, purpose and stuff like that. Sounds like my sister-in-law who said, even if the LDS Church was proven untrue, she would still go because it makes her feel good. That's that's at the core of it, I think. That's it. Yeah, I, I just find it, like you said, I just find it extremely stupid to say. That even though the church uh, had witch trials for 300 years and the and it killed heretics for 200 years, that even though for 200 years or 300 years it was sanctioned by the leaders of the church, people participated in it. There doesn't didn't seem to be a lot of criticism, a lot of vocal. Can you imagine being vocal critics of all those things? <laughs> that um, that even though for 200 years, 300 years. They did those sorts of things. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't. You know, some modern Christian will say, "No, no, that wouldn't have been me." Or if they born were born in the South uh, during the uh, American slavery, no, I wouldn't have held slaves. I wouldn't have seen it in the Bible. I mean, they're totally. You know, it's called uh, I think chronological snobbery. You know, they think these people were stupid for for thinking what they did. Well, I I find texts in the Bible that would lead the the. Uh, inquisitional church to do exactly what they did. You know, religious freedom is actually condemned in the Bible. Of course. Yeah. They're the you one know, true religion. The thought yeah, police and, and, is... And, the thought oh, police is... Oh, God. The thought police... Hey, Layton, how about you shut up and let the guest talk? How about that? Up. He's I'll talking. Why don't you shut up? <laughs> the uh, thought police is actually reflected in the book of Job because Satan in the book of Job was a thought policeman. Just like we find in some Muslim countries now, what you think matters, you know. And so he we roamed the earth. It's a myth, of course, but he roamed the earth, and you know he found Job, and here's the thought police. You know, I mean, this guy's not thinking correctly. You know, he thinks this, he thinks that, and that's bad. Well, that, that's reflected in the Bible, and no one can judge. No one should judge 
another person's thoughts. And yet we find that uh, this guy is going to judge people's thoughts on the day of judgment. That's bullshit. You can only judge what people actually do. I mean, we can't not think the way we do. <laughs> yeah, it would be right. nice if, if they limited your uh, culpability to your actions, but that's an advance of uh, a lot of the New Testament. I mean, it's mentioned in Job, but uh, Jesus says, or was reported to say, I, I guess, that, right. um, you know, you, you, if you don't want to be guilty of murder, don't even be angry. If you don't want to be guilty right. of adultery, don't even feel lust. Uh, you're right. How? Tell me how, Jesus. <laughs> Just let me know how. Jesus? Oh, you've got to say Jesus is, I present exhibit A. Her ass was just rapably nice. That's all I've got to say, Jesus. Oh, God. Now, <laughs> oh, there you go. There there you have it. You know, the medieval theologians had a, a big problem with that. You know, well, what about lust? Jesus says, don't lust. Well, they, they finally settled on the idea that, well, it's not a bad thing to think about it, but you can't entertain the thought. I mean, it's, you, it's like a bird. Uh, I think they would use the illustration of, you know, you, you can't help it, help it if a bird lands on your head, but you sure can help it if the bird builds a nest in in your hair. <laughs> 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 oh, so, so, okay, let the bird land. Oh, damn, she looks nice. Okay, fly away. <laughs> no, <whatever. laughs> uh, yeah, um, God, now the I'm still I'm still uh my mind is still reeling from Layton's rape comment. What? <laughs> and just I know you're an asshole and a misogynist, but the the extent to which is still stunning. It's still stunning each time it uh, strikes you in the face. Exactly. Um, we have a guest here. Why are we talking about me? Uh, that is exactly <laughs> true. Uh, I, I've been totally derailed. Um, speaking of which, uh, John, now we got an email from a listener saying that you would actually listen to one of our podcasts. If that's true, I think you'll be the first uh, guest that we've interviewed that has actually heard of us before we interviewed them. Yeah, I think you had uh, my friend Bob Price on your program, and someone said, hey, he mentioned you in your book, so I listened to the last four or five minutes, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> that's <laughs> That's more that it's better than anybody else. That's more than Layton's ever listened to the show, so you're one up on him. Yeah, he said he talked about your book in the last four or five minutes. So I said, all right, let me listen to the last four or five minutes. That's true. Uh, we did. Um, Bob came on to discuss um, his take on the Book of Mormon. He recently released an ebook that we talked about you in the context of, I think. Uh, you know, we were asked on our hundredth episode, "What what are the books I think that, that we recommend?" I think if there's one book that you want uh, to kind of arm yourself, it would be the Christian Delusion. Um, Godless would be. Do you think I stole it from you? Godless would be a close second, and then if you want to get into the individual stuff, Bob Price's books on uh, deconstructing Jesus or uh, Credible Shrinking Son of Man especially the empty tomb on the resurrection. Um, that, that's probably the best uh, resource on the resurrection. But Christian delusion, I don't think, can be beat right now as a general kind of arming yourself for Christianity, for fighting Christians. Cool. That's a, that's a wonderful recommendation. You know, uh, with the release of The End of Christianity a couple of weeks ago, I, I'm always curious about comparisons, and I know comparisons will be made. I don't know, you know how, how that new anthology will fair against the Christian delusion um, but um, I think it's a pretty damn good book too <laughs> Is Avalos in that too? He wrote um, The End of Biblical Studies yeah. Is that kind of along the same lines as, as why the hell are we even doing this anymore? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah, yeah. he says it's time to um, end them as a culturally significant uh, set of documents and to the exclusion of all other ancient documents uh, that we have that we have not yet studied that well. Right, unless we find some new documents, we've really mined the depths of Christian documents. I mean, the <laughs> New Testament studies. Uh, his point was, what what new has come in the last two hundred years? I mean, literally. Well, I don't know that that's the point exactly, but he he does show that uh, the liberals, have, I mean, well, believers have basically torn the Bible to shreds. I mean, believers themselves have done that, and he says. It's time to recognize that uh, you, you uh, believe have put an end to biblical studies. Why don't you just say so? Why don't you recognize it? Why don't we move on to other documents? You know, and treat them the same. 
and 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 the Bible's influence in our world today. So uh, that's a wonderful um, argument. It's just um, yeah, if I could uh, could have titled the book "The End of Biblical Studies," I suppose I would have. But uh, um, <laughs> that's a key chapter in, in that book. <laughs> so, what's your? Do you have an article in the End of Christianity? What's that? Uh, I do. It's uh, basically a, a blistering one. Uh, you, you you'll find. As my writing progresses, uh, I'm sort of like Bob Price. And when he started out writing, he was quite cordial and polite and respectful to the beliefs of others as he was writing about them. But I've noticed uh, a little bit of, a, well, a lot of a degeneration in his uh, style of writing. He uh, he blasts them now. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, and for good measure. I mean, they're not, they're not paying attention. I mean, he's already he's already debunked them. I mean, he, you know, it's already been put in his grave and so uh I, I like i like his last book called the um the case against the case for christianity i think that's the title of it it's a great book but you know he's just blasting them in there well you'll find a little bit of that in, in my writing why i became an atheist i was quite cordial and respectful and polite to the beliefs of people i was writing against and then in christian delusion you'll find it a harsher tone, uh, but in the one chapter I wrote for the end of Christianity, it's basically white hot. <laughs> it's hard well, not it's to get frustration. Yeah, you it's just hard not to get frustrated. Basically, yeah, I, I say what it takes to defend Christianity, it, it takes otherwise smart people who who um, look dumb. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm basically I'm basically calling out Alvin Flanagan, Bill Craig, and uh, Richard Swinburne. They three men most admired by evangelicals and you know calling them dumb <laughs> well that's uh, that's the argument I make you know they're not going to like it and I've, I've done a few blog posts recently you know with um, against Victor Ruppert and uh, Matthew Flanagan and uh, Thomas Talbert three Christian PhDs with degrees in philosophy and um, I've been calling them uh, you know otherwise you know smart people who um, look dumb you know they, they don't like it <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's uh, you know it's rhetoric I understand but uh, you know at some point you have to say you guys you guys just aren't listening you aren't paying attention but it does go back to what David Eller said in the first chapter in the Christian delusion he says you know you can't reason people out of the faith they were never reasoned into in the first place right so um, you know there's a I mean you just have to like become blunter you know I, mean, I don't know if it makes sense impact or not but you know, it's, it's a bit of frustration. You know, like Bob Price. You know, it's like they're not listening. <laughs> I mean, I I can't believe that it's hard. I'll say this: it's hard to believe. You know, if they could read the Christian Illusion and uh, you know come away with a stronger faith, and it's hard to believe of, of the other books you mentioned or or my other two, that they can read them and come away still believing or or claiming anyway to have a stronger faith. Well, that's that's a sign of a delusion. I mean, actually, psychological studies have shown that when confronted with refuting evidence, uh, a believer will, uh, they were talking about, um, they were doing studies on um, political beliefs, and um, political partisans, when shown refuting evidence, will actually become more entrenched, and they will take that as uh, evidence for what they believe, despite the refutation, is because that's we really are not as rational as we think we are. And Valerie Trico made made that argument herself. We really are not that rational people. And I make an argument that because of the, of that, we ought to all be skeptics. And it seems simple and obvious to me that we should be skeptics, knowing how easily malleable our minds really are and if, you, if you're going to be a skeptic then you should only trust that which the hard cold sciences show us yeah we certainly should give up any <laughs> trust in that feeling of certainty um, exactly that needs to go and they'll turn that yeah, around I mean, and say John you need to be skeptical of your skepticism you need to be skeptical of your atheism you, well, you're, I know, I know you're certainly are. wrong and, and it's proof that you're wrong that you're writing these books because why would you try so hard if you were right yeah I, I know they do the thing is there's a big difference I, I don't have any beliefs that um, I'm certain about. I, I have I, what I am doing is I am certain you are wrong in your um, in your statements, or I'm near certain. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I always be changed with God visiting me, although I'd have lots of questions, you know, to ask even if he did. <clears throat> but uh, it's 
one thing to say, I know, I, right, let's take Custer's Last Stand as an example. Now, there are probably a million things that could have happened at Custer's Last Stand. Aliens could have come down and decimated his troop, right? Uh, or his troops. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, an earthquake could have opened up and, and uh, killed a bunch of them. I mean, basically a million things that could have happened, plus more naturalistic ex- explanations as well. Now, let's say someone latches on to one of those, you know, and says, this is what happened at Custer's Last Stand. And I, I can't say I've really studied, you know, the historical documents that much, only enough to say that I can be certain that one of those answers is wrong, you know. Uh, and um, that's different than saying, I know, I can affirm, I can tell you positively what happened, you know, versus someone says, well, I doubt it. In fact, I'm pretty certain you're wrong. Uh, but the person who says that you're, pretty well wrong is not making any statements or beliefs at all he's just saying the evidence is very unconvincing and that's all that's what i'm saying so you know they can't really turn that around on me i mean they try but it it just won't work yeah it works in a simplistic way as you know skepticism kind of folds in on itself how skeptical can you be can you be skeptical of skepticism etc 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 in any you can't in on cannot in in any non-trivial way, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, you, you can't be skeptical of the very filter that allows you to uh, sift out the true wheat from the false chaff. I mean, it's, this is a filter. The, uh, skepticism is a filter for what we can accept. You cannot be skeptical of that filter without destroying it, without doing it away, without without throwing it out the window. Now, if you throw that filter out the window, then anything can be let through. And that's so what any they want. Idea. That, that's what they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, actually, actually, they don't. Well, they don't. Uh, they want their own. Yeah. They just because want Because the outside yeah, yeah, test for faith won't allow that. Because, sure. Um, they, they want to filter out other religious space and extraordinary claims, but retain their own, you see. So, so I'm calling them to... Uh, eliminate their double standards, you know, one for their own faith and one for the other, for all the others they reject. I mean, Absolutely. I basically ask them to be more more consistent as a skeptic. You know, you, mean, would, you, know you're... you would mention, I can't think of a single counter-argument. It may just be due to my lack of imagination, but you had mentioned that there were uh, refutations or attempted refutations of the outsider test for faith. How do they attack that? Well, um, they, you know, like you say, for instance, they will say, all right, well, they'll say, okay, if you look at an anti-rape ethic from an outsider's perspective, that is, from someone who espouses a rape ethic, then um, their claim is that there is no way you could convince someone who espouses a rape ethic to be yeah, that he's wrong. I mean, basically, they're trying to say it's, it's being applied to religious faith, well, why not apply it to morality as well, right? Um, well, you know, actually, if you're talking about skepticism, then, yeah, fine. Uh, I don't know of anyone who espouses a rape ethic. Show me one. <laughs> Except religious believers. And they do it because of religious faith. And so, if you want to look at an anti, or if you want to look at a rape ethic, uh, then first let's get rid of the religion. And the religion, I think, can be gotten done with with, with a consistent application of the outsider test of faith. And when that religion is done with, then let's see what they might think about rape. And, uh, then we can look at um, why no one uh, advocates a rape ethic. Now, there might be people who think it's okay so they don't get caught or they don't care what the, what an ethic is, but why should we care what sociopaths think about ethics? I mean, if, if it matters... Um, what they think about uh, ethics, then uh, we must just give up ethics. And um, a sociopath could even say, I don't care what God thinks, and some believers would have a hard time with that. But the bottom line with those type of arguments is that um, they're, they're red herrings. Uh, the outsider test simply asks believers to do unto their own faith what they already do unto other faiths. All, them, all it asks of them is to be consistent. And what I like to point out to them, those who try to throw these red herrings, is that their faith had to be made to pass the outsider test of faith. I mean, if God did not create Christianity to pass the outsider test for faith, 
than anyone born in a non-Christian culture, race, or believe in a different religion, uh, could never be converted rationally to Christianity. If they're saying that the outsider test for faith is, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, too skeptical or it doesn't apply to rape or what have you, then all I have to ask them is this. Is, is Christianity made to convince or to convert outsiders who are born and raised in different cultures? Now, if they say, no, it wasn't, well, then God never created, you know, I mean, God, God's done something wrong there. I mean, he's basically created a faith that cannot convince others reasonably um, to believe. And um, it basically puts them into to the horns of a dilemma, because either they have to say that people can reasonably be led to believe Christianity, who are born as outsiders, or not. If they say that they can, then they're admitting the outsider test of faith um, is a reasonable standard. If they say it doesn't, then God is sending people to hell um, based merely on where and when they were born. So the the gist of their counter-argument, essentially, is that uh, a technique used to help you purchase a used car does not also help you make a chicken sandwich. I mean, that's pretty much yeah, it. They're, they're, yeah, it they're, is, they're, they're, they're the outsider I mean, test uh, for faith yeah is a test specifically used in religious circumstances and it's grounded by the stuff that you've already said because you know um, everyone not everyone can be right so most of the people are wrong so how do you know you're right and this is a way to help you and to take that yeah. and, and use it in a different sphere uh, it doesn't even logically make sense why would you expect well, it to work in a, a rape anti-rape argument well there are things that are culturally taught, you know, and so they're saying, well, religion is one of them. And so if religion is one of them, then there are other culturally taught ideas as well. And if that's the case, we should uh, approach these other culturally accepted uh, ideas of, of, as outsiders too. But the problem is that the definition of an outsider is basically um, a skeptic. I mean, uh, basically, someone who doesn't believe extraordinary claims, like uh, you know, which is through the night, or that uh, you know, I was right. healed last night. My God, these are the types of claims that are being uh, examined by the outsider test of faith. They're extraordinary claims. An insider is a believer, and an outsider is a non-believer, and we have examples of both of them. And so, yes, it is uh, specifically to those types of claims. Other claims might merit different kinds of arguments, and um, but but it it does depend on science. The, the outside test of faith does depend on science because uh, it's the the standard. It's it's the thing that can help decide even rape issues or um, or whether or not there's a material universe. Uh, these are the kinds of things that uh, that I appeal to with the outside test of faith because believers appeal to them when examining claims. Of, um, of the Mormon faith, for instance. Now, the Mormon faith has actually been discredited by DNA evidence that shows that Native Americans uh, are not descendants of Semite peoples, some Semitic peoples. So Christians will point to that and say, well, see, here's science. Science debunks Mormonism. Well, that's the kind of standard the outsider test is uh, asking people to apply to their own faith. And it does, it does most efficiently when it comes to the nativity stories of Jesus and when it comes to the uh, Exodus and the wilderness renderings and the, uh, even the Canaanite conquest. These things did not have it as recorded in the Bible, you see. So um, all I'm asking to do, the outsider test of faith says, now, you like science, right? Okay, sure, yeah, okay, well, yes, we do. Well, then apply it to your own faith. That's, that's all it's asking. It's interesting. Do you know that the Mormon Church is... Uh admitted that the um, DNA evidence is compelling uh, in a roundabout way. The introduction of the Book of Mormon used to say the Native Americans, the Lamanites, the principal ancestors, they've taken that away. Now they've said that they are among the ancestors. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, they changed yeah, they, it a few years back. There's a case of the evolution of religion right before your eyes. Yeah, they're, so they're trying, I think, to sideswipe the DNA arguments you know, with just a little change in their introduction to the yeah. Book of Mormon. And, and wasn't it also interesting when um, America rejected um, racism that all of a sudden the Mormons had a vision about that and says, we do too, and when them, uh, because America doesn't allow polygamy, that all of a sudden they got a revelation that uh, 
know, the Mormon faith rejects it too. <laughs> yep, you can count on them to uh, start marrying gay people about ten or fifteen years later after the rest of the um, country does. That well, that could happen. Yeah. Suddenly, they'll get a revelation. Mark it down. I'm prophesying right now. And isn't it always interesting that those revelations, you know, are spoken to some individual and whispered in their ear? <laughs> yeah, some old white dude. Non, <laughs> always non-verifiable. <laughs> uh, you know, Bill Maurer makes a point of it in uh, *Religious* that uh, he says, "Well, isn't it always strange that these revelations take place privately? You know, in non-verifiable ways." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, in the 1978 revelation that uh, the blacks could have the priesthood in the Mormon church, no one has ever released a text of that. So apparently, God whispered into his ear and he just forgot what God said. He got the general gist of it, <laughs> but he didn't release the actual text. Yeah, uh, and, the blind, and the blindness of other believers is that they will look at Mormons and they'll say, see this, see this. I mean, they'll admit... Right, the same things you and I are now talking about. In fact, they could have their own program, then they could say the same things we just did about Mormonism based on science, you see, and the proclivities of human beings to believe what they prefer to, to believe and to defend faith at all costs. And yet they don't see their own blindness. They don't see, they don't see the kinds of things that, uh, you know, we write about in our books. And I'll tell you what, I'll make another little prophecy, too. We're going to see that played out on the nation, national stage if Mitt Romney is the Republican candidate. Uh, you oh, will, let's not talk about it. <laughs> you will hear a bunch of evangelical Protestants complaining about how ridiculous Mitt Romney's faith is. <laughs> not understanding. I, I, that's just a measure. I, it's just a quantitative difference. It's not a qualitative difference. You guys are just as, as goddamn crazy as the rest of them. I love to hear Christians and other believers discuss you know, with each other because you know, when they criticize each other's faith, I think they're all right. <laughs> it's, just <when> they turn <laughs> around say, it's just when they turn around and say, but our faith is the one and only true one. Right. That, uh, you, know. <laughs> you disagree. Well, we've gone a, a little long here. Why don't we give you the opportunity to plug your blog and any books you've got? Well, you know, I run the Debunking Christianity blog. You can find it just by Googling it, I think, and... Um, you know, I have why I became an atheist and uh, delusion and the end of Christianity. And uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, I think these anthologies are, as you say, and I can say that even just discounting my own contributions. So um, I'd like to see more comments on them, and I'd like to see more people um, discuss them. And I'd like to see people buy them up and give them out to their Christian friends. Does your new book have any pictures in it? Diagrams, yeah, we got a few. Good, Leighton, well, you good. might. I'll be able to read it. I'll be able to understand <laughs> some of it. Yeah, in fact, in fact, Bob Price has a cartoon in it. Now, that... wait, wait, are they stick figures though? Because uh, the colors kind of well, they distract. That was Leighton's main complaint with why he became an atheist. There were no pictures, and the text was pretty small. <laughs> yeah, the text is kind of small. Well, well, why do you think I've never read the Bible or the Book of Mormon? There's just a bunch of text. Where are my goddamn pictures? Hey, John, in closing, what new projects do you have coming up? What secret stuff can you tell us about? Well, it's secret. <laughs> um, Top secret, preferably. Tell me, uh, tell me what your listenership is before I reveal one. <laughs> oh, God. We, we probably average around, honestly... Around edited for content downloads, we have had up to top secret information. Oh, you're kidding me! No. Oh, all right. Well, then I'll I'll reserve one secret for later. But um, <laughs> what I, what I, that's too many. What? Um, <laughs> but you just keep stay stay tuned. Stay tuned next year. Um, uh, just stay tuned, and um, something I think is pretty cool coming out next year that, I, that I've written. Uh, but um, I'm working is that, on. Is that a new book for from you entirely? Not an anthology. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Dead silence. You really think you're going to needle this out of him just by kid continuing to ask the same Excellent. question? Well, I'm I'm hoping that the movie will come out the year later. Oh, right, 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 sure. Um, <laughs> I'm working on another anthology titled after Hitchens' book. It's called Christianity is Not Great. And uh, if you go to my blog, Debunking Christianity, you can, you can read about that and who is involved. It's... Uh, 
it's not yet accepted for publication, but uh, you know we're we're still working on it. And another book that I'm that I've already proposed with Randall Rouser, Dr. Randall Rouser, he's a uh, historical theology professor in Canada. He and I are in a debate book, and uh, we've each proposed oh I think twenty questions, and uh, we debate those twenty questions and. It's in proposal stage, and we're hoping to hear back this month for an acceptance on that. So, yeah, stay, stay tuned for those. Oh, I can't wait for that one. That one sounds uh, good. Let me just say this. I think I like Randall. He's, he's a great guy, but he doesn't know how badly he's getting trashed. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I think that. I, mean, I actually think that, and uh, that's why he's having a hard time getting a Christian publisher. He, his agent sent it out to five Christian publishers, and in December, and he, you know, we really wanted to be published by a Christian publisher, and um, he's having a, a great amount of difficulty with one rejection after another, and it's, be, it's probably because they want somebody. <laughs> well, he's doing a good job from his perspective. It's just that uh, <clears throat> you only got the bad. material you got to work with. I mean, there are limits yeah, on that. Yeah, I think he's getting. I think he's getting badly trounced, but. You know, then if uh, none, none of the Christian publishers will take it, then we'll, we'll look to an atheist publisher or something like that. So. Excellent. You might want to try, um, Bob Price sneaked that one into, uh, I think, uh, InterVarsity Press or something like that. His uh, Whoever published Five Views on Jesus, uh, mm-hmm. they, were pretty, they were pretty fair on it, I think. They, they yeah. let Bob Price in there and I think John Dominic Cross in as well. Right. Yeah, I like those debate books. You know, I, I wish more Christians would read those. I mean, there's the guy that, University Press must have about 20 or 30 of them, and uh, Zondervan must have an additional 20 or 30 of them. I, I wish Christians would read those, read them all, because, yeah. um, it, it, you know, on, on like ministry, to women's issues, to salvation, to apologetics, to evolution and creation, they've, they've got it all, and, you know, be educated and, and see how your arguments, you know, fare up under that kind of scrutiny. And, you know, it just would seem to me that if you read them all, you just kind of throw up your hands. Doesn't anybody know? Well, no, they don't. No. Nope. God can't inspire anyone, really. <laughs> well, excellent. Um, I tell you what, give us a few months. Let me read The End of Christianity. Um, I'll explain what it says to Leighton, and then maybe we'll have you back on. Uh, wait, wait, will there be pictures when you explain? I might draw some pictures. I'll draw you some pictures. Because <laughs> we both know I don't, I don't really listen to you when you say things. So. <laughs> God, Dad, that is the truth. That is the absolute truth. Thanks for coming on, John. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much.